invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. You came back. We're especially going to be focusing on verse 3 today, but I'm going to read 1 through 3, and we're actually going to look at 4, 5, and 6 as well a little bit. Uh, but 3 is really the crux of, of what we're getting at this morning. The writer of Hebrews, as we've been saying throughout this study, uh, is encouraging weary Christians on the verge of giving up their faith. They were tired of the world being against them. They were tired of persecution, tired of saying no to the temptations of this world, tired of fighting the good fight of, of the faith. And so to the end of encouraging, encouraging and enduring faith, the writer of Hebrews holds up a number of faithful examples here in chapter 11, this hall of fame of faith. And he begins with these examples with the beginning, the very beginning of all things. He points us to creation as he rehearses uh, how to live by faith, how to have an enduring faith. He wants to point us to having faith in the creator of all things. And so we turn our attention now to God's word. Hebrews 11.1 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. May God... Bless the reading and hearing of his holy, inspired, and inerrant word and write its truth upon our hearts this morning. Well, let's be scientists for a few minutes, and, and maybe I'll uh, blow your mind a little bit. Uh, I'm not a scientist myself, but I, I do have the Internet. Uh, and so I looked up a few things, and maybe I'll sound smarter than I really am. But... Uh, I was doing a little research here, and I discovered, and I've studied this in the past, way in the past, that a light year is a unit of measurement whereby great distances can be measured. It's the distance that light can travel in one year. Now, of course, light moves really fast, as if you've, of course, all of us have walked into a room and flipped on the light switch, and it's immediately bright, light has traveled from the light source into the, all the room, and it's uh, unperceivable how quick it works. But scientists have figured this out, and, and they have uh, uh, measured it and, and calculated that light moves at a velocity of about 671 million miles per hour. That's fast. 671 million miles per hour. So in one year, light can travel six trillion miles, just, just shy of six trillion miles. One light year is equal to somewhere around six trillion miles. Now as we uh, think about creation in the universe and in our galaxy, and, and then this is how they measure these distances, the nearest big galaxy to our galaxy, the, our, our galaxy is the Milky Way, of course, the Andromeda galaxy is the next big galaxy, 
it is 2.5 million light years away from us. And to put that into just straight up miles, and I'm not sure that this is helpful at all, but it's about 13 quintillion miles. And of course you've got million, billion, trillion, quadrillion, and quintillion. So 13 of these bad boys. That's a long ways off, that first big galaxy that's near to us. Now the, the most distant galaxies that we can see with our big huge telescopes are 10 or 12 billion light years away. Remember a light year is almost 6 trillion miles. So 10, 12 billion of those things away. Scientists estimate that there are somewhere between 100 billion and 500 billion, at the high end of the, uh, the estimate, 100 billion to 500 billion galaxies in the universe. It's amazing to think about it. You, 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 you almost can't think about it because it's so vast and beyond us that it's just words and numbers. Now, we on Earth, in our solar system, within the galaxy called the Milky Way, are in a very unique position in the universe because we can sustain life. And it's all about location, you know, the real estate, location, location, location. Nothing has ever been truer of planet Earth because it is situated in just the perfect spot within the Milky Way galaxy. The spot where we are about two-thirds of the way out towards the edge of the galaxy, where we are least likely to suffer collisions with other stars. So most of the stars in our galaxy are in the larger spiral arms, as we are in a spiral galaxy, if that means anything to, to you. Uh, most of the stars are in the larger spirals or they're in the center and we're two-thirds of the way in between there. And because there's so few stars near us, there's a low amount of radiation surrounding our solar system. If you've ever studied any kind of uh, astronomy, you'll know that stars do explode and that's not a good thing if you're nearby because you'll blow up too or at least get burned up. So that's where our, our solar system is within the galaxy, a very special place. But the Earth is in a very unique and special place within the solar system. The, the position in which the Earth orbits the sun uniquely sustains life. Our solar system contains thousands of asteroids and meteoroids that sometimes collide with planets. You've seen the movies... Asteroids flying to planet Earth. The reason that does not happen is because Jupiter has a strong gravitational pull and, and it keeps large rocks from hitting the Earth by attracting it with its pull, gravitational pull. The Earth's unusually large moon also protects us from many of the rocks that cross our planet's path. If you've ever seen pictures of the moon or looked at it through a powerful telescope, you'll see there are all kinds of, of places where uh, asteroids and so forth have cratered the surface of the moon instead of the earth. And because we have this big moon 
rotating around the Earth, it anchors our planet. So our moon prevents our planet from tilting too far to the, uh, to the attraction of the sun or to Jupiter. So we're in perfect balance in the perfect spot within our solar system, within our galaxy, in order to sustain life. If we just move one planet closer to the sun, you know how hot it would be? We think it's hot. Now, but if you lived on Venus, the average temperature there is 863 degrees Fahrenheit. And so you say, hey, let's move away. Let's move to Mars. That should be a good place to live. The average temperature there is negative 63 degrees Fahrenheit. That's worse than living in Minnesota. These are average temperatures. This is not even talking about the highs and the lows. So you see, we in our planet, in our solar system, in our galaxy, are in a spot uniquely set up to sustain life as we know it, where we can have the water cycle and, and where life and vegetation can grow and we can be sustained. So how did all this come into being? We're talking about creation here. How did it all come, come into being? Of course, there are different theories out there, different arguments. And there are basically three options. The first option is nonsense. So there are really only two options. Now, the first option is this, is that everything came from nothing. In other words, there's absolutely nothing no universe, no matter, no space. And then all of a sudden, spontaneously, something happened. Something came into being, just out of nothing. Poof. Kind of magical. Nobody believes that that's rational. It's beyond the realms of reason and, and total nonsensical fantasy. Something cannot come from nothing. And I don't know that anybody really believes that. So we're left with the second and the third options. The second option, uh, well, let's, let's think about both those. Second and third options have something in common. They, they have to believe that something is eternal, that something has always existed. Second option, option number two. We've already eliminated option number one. Option number two believes that matter has always existed. Matter is eternal. There's always been a mass of some kind of matter which had no beginning and will probably have no end. And at some point, that matter exploded, commonly called the Big Bang Theory. And we ended up with the finely tuned and wonderful universe in which we now inhabit. Just in the right position in our galaxy at the perfect distance in orbit around the sun where life began and we evolved into the intricate, finely tuned human bodies where, for example... Our hands have 27 bones that we can move however we want them to move for the most part because we have these electrical impulses sent from our brains that are telling our 27 bones in our fingers to wave or to give the peace sign or the thumbs up or whatever we want our hands to do. All this happened by chance, by accident. Matter has always been here and it exploded and all of a sudden here we are. Well, not all of a sudden billions of years, according to this, this viewpoint. 
That's the second option. The third option, of course, is the Christian option. The eternal, incredibly powerful, intelligent, and awesome God created everything out of nothing by his word. That's what verse 3 says. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. The Bible says well, several verses. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Psalm 33 that we read during our call to worship. <clears throat> by the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their hosts. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. Or John 1, 3. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So this is clearly the position of Scripture. Now I want you to notice something about both of those options. The, the, the naturalist option, the second option, or the Christian option. Both the naturalist evolutionist view and the Christian view require faith. I said this last week as well. They both require faith. Both are built on faith assumptions. Each makes a faith commitment. Either you believe that matter is eternal, which you cannot prove. It has to be taken on faith. Or you believe that God is eternal and he created everything for his purposes. These are the two options. Both require faith. Now when it comes to questions of faith and what you believe, you have to look at certain things. Most of all, you have to look at does this belief explain things? Does it have explanatory power? Does it make sense of the world? Is it reasonable? Now, a lot of people would accuse the Christian faith of being unreasonable, or we're accused of being mindless and not really thinking, and so we just believe that God created everything. I would challenge that. I think our faith assumption is well thought out, is very plausible, and has more explanatory power than option two, than the naturalist evolutionary position. Let me just illustrate what I mean by that. Just one area. The naturalist position, the evolution position, believes that we're just here by chance. That we're just this you know, accident that the universe made. Or matter just, something happened, it all exploded, and here we are. You know, with heartbeats and with thoughts and feelings and with this world in which we live. The universe and human life it has no purpose or reason, of course, according to the naturalist. Our feelings, love, hate, uh, our sense of beauty, our, eyes about, our ideas about morality, what's good and what's bad, these are all just chemical reactions because we're all just physical beings who have evolved in the universe. In fact, according to the evolutionists, we humans are here because of natural selection. You know, we have just risen to this place of prominence in creation because we are stronger. You know, the strong eats the weak. The strong survives. So a naturalist really can't get upset when the strong eats the weak, can they? There's no moral ground for why that's wrong or right. We don't get mad at the lion for eating the antelope, or, and we don't get upset at the alpha lion 
destroying his uh, other lion adversaries. You've watched the nature channels where the, the young lion tries to take over for the, for the old lion and there's a big fight and one of them dies. And we watch it on TV and we think, ooh, that's really cool. So what right does an evolutionist have to get upset because a stronger man kills a weaker man? It's the way that nature works. It's how we have risen to this position in the universe, according to their view. The Christian position, on the other hand, argues that mankind was created in the image of God with purpose. His purposes. He has a purpose to all of life. He has a purpose to this whole universe. And mankind is special because we are uniquely bearing the image of God. And so we respect human life. We have grounds for that, as God has revealed to us in His Word. Psalm 8 says, When we look... Let me read it to you before I mess it up. When I look at your heavens the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. So, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. See, as, as we look out in the universe, as we look at the stars, and we look at the beauty of creation, the, the, the psalmist, he is filled with wonder. You know, how, how does man, who's so small, uh, how do we get to this special place? The Bible explains it. The creationist view says... God has a purpose for man. He's created him in a unique position with dominion over the creatures. There is a plausible explanation. It's a reasoned explanation. It's not just blind faith. So it's very reasonable to have this Christian position versus believing that we're this grand accident that the universe has, has made and, and here we are, just happen to be in the right place in the right time and evolve into what we are today. That seems less plausible to me. At least it takes the same amount of faith to believe one or the other. I think it takes a little bit more faith to believe in the naturalist position than the creationist position. Because I believe the creationist position has more explanatory, explanatory power. It more, has more reason behind it. But the Bible also explains why people reject that. Psalm, uh, Romans 1. God's invisible attributes, Paul explains, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. We ought to look at creation and go, there is a God. And maybe you've had that experience yourself. I remember as a child or teenager going to the Grand Canyon and you just see this big, beautiful hole in the, in the ground and it's so huge and, and amazing and you, you know, it, it, there's, a, there's a drawing to God there. I remember having a worship service on the, the edge of the cliff there. I was a little back because I'm afraid of heights, but you know, still, what a tremendous worship occasion. 
Not worshiping creation, but worshiping the creator of this great beauty. But Paul says people are without excuse. They knew God, but they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. And he says they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. So see, people have rejected the creator and they worship creation. And that's the two options that we have. Now let's put this in context. Why is he telling them this? Why is the writer of Hebrews telling these people who are, who are ready to give up their faith, why is he pointing them to creation? Well, faith, he says, means that you have an assurance and a conviction that thing, these things are true. When you have a conviction about something, your behavior reflects that conviction. You know, you've, you've seen people who have a cause, a conviction. They, they really believe something. And that dictates how they behave or refuse to behave in certain situations. Christians have a conviction about creation. The way we view the world is affected by that conviction. The way we behave is affected by that conviction. Things hoped for and things not seen seem to point us in a future path. You know, we... We, he, he mentions the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. In a sense, he's pointing us to the future. But the writer begins by taking us back to creation, those things that are not seen. And he does this because what we believe about our origins affects what we believe about our present life and our future, the future of all things. One commentator says, By faith... We attain to the assurance that the world history, that the world history is not the result of blind fate, but answers to an expression of the will of God. And so we can attain to fresh victories corresponding to our position, even as in the past the heroes of faith triumphed. See, that's what the writer is doing here. He's, he's taking us and looking back at creation. We know that it's there because of the will of God and he's got a purpose behind all things. And as we live in this world and we understand why it's broken and why people are against God, it gives us strength to face the temptation to give up, the temptation to give in to, to, to sin. The conception of creation, he continues, by God's word rightly leads to a present belief in the power of God as preserver and governor of that which he created. We believe that God is in control, that he's sovereign over all of creation. And that has, makes a difference in the way that we live and what we believe about what's going on in the world and what we believe about the future and what God's going to do about the future. This should make us endure in our faith as we think about God as our creator. But look at verse 6. Something more than just belief in a creator. Verse 6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists. Well, duh, sure. <laughs> if you're going to believe in God, you have to believe that he exists. See, this is not just some fantasy. This is not just some, some belief that works for you or belief that works for me, as people are fond of saying. You can believe whatever you want uh, if it works for you. No, this is facts, this is truth. Either it's true or it's not. 
So what is he saying? He's saying here, look, you must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. The Creator can be known. You can draw near to the Creator, he says, and he will reward you. He will, he will reward the ones that seek him by allowing them to find him. Now, how does he do that? He's talking about the first steps of faith. But there's more here. We can draw near to him. We can know this creator. He rewards those who seek him. The fact of the matter is that God has come searching for us. He's made a way for us to draw near to him. Look at verse 4 and 5. I I, I just saw this this morning as I was reflecting on it. He points us back to two examples that are pre-flood, to Abel and Enoch. And he says, By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. So Abel, uh, Abel drew near to God in worship, and he brought a proper sacrifice. So he knew this Creator. He had access to the Creator through sacrifice, through the worship. Now, you and I also, as human beings, can draw near to our Creator through sacrifice. Now, the reason the writer of Hebrews is writing to these people is because their faith is failing. Our faith fails. We are not perfect. We are not perfectly faithful. But there is one who is. God Himself came. He provided, Christ provided, the perfect, acceptable sacrifice And though he died, he still speaks because he still lives. So Abel points us to Christ. How we can know God and draw near to him because of the sacrifice that Christ made for sin. And then look at verse 5. By faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. You remember the story of Enoch? You know, Methuselah was the oldest man in the world. Enoch was his father. So that's the, the trick question is, who's older than Methuselah in the Bible? Uh, well, his father never died. So, in essence, he's older. But Enoch was, was walking with God and he was taken up. Again, points us to Christ. This one perfect sacrifice, Jesus Christ. So he's, he is like Abel in that Christ provided the perfect sacrifice. But like Enoch, even better than Enoch, you know, you and I cannot walk in a way so close and and commended by God that we're just taken up. But Christ did. Christ was commended as having pleased God, and that is why he rose from the dead. And why he died, he did see death, but God raised him up. Because he was the perfect sacrifice. He was the one who perfectly pleased God for us. And so we can draw near to God through Christ to know our Creator, to have a relationship with Him. He will reward those who seek Him. And I want to encourage you all today to remember your Creator and remember the way in which you can have a relationship with Him through Jesus Christ. Don't give up, don't give in to temptation. Don't wallow in the ways of this world. 
but stop and reflect. And that's what Sunday's about, to rest and to worship, to get our perspective right, to think about who God is and what he's done for us, how he's provided a way for us to know him and to know that that's his purpose in the world. He's created us to have this relationship with him, to know him, to be close to him for eternity. May God help us all to reach out to him and seek him by faith. May he grant us faith. We pray this. We, let us pray together and pray for this. Father, we do ask that you would grant us faith. Help us have an enduring faith that stands strong in the face of temptation, that stands strong in the face of the weariness of the Christian life. Lord, we pray that as we reflect upon the creation and how you brought things into existence, how you are the author of its beginning, that you are also the author of the end. And Lord, we pray that the story that you are telling through creation, that we would become a part of that story, that our story would be your story, and that we're living out your story. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.